Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please open your Bibles to the, the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And today we're going to read the announcement of the birth of Jesus. So let's read uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what reading this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, 
to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises that have been fulfilled and for the ones that we eagerly await to be fulfilled. We thank you, Lord, that the promise of the coming of your son, Jesus, was fulfilled. And God, we thank you that at the right time you sent your son, Jesus, to be born of Mary, that he come and save us, that he would reign forever, that the kingdom of his father David would be given to him, Lord. And thank you, God, that we are a part of that kingdom. Thank you that we have been included with your people. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, as we look at this passage, I pray that you give us insight, that you, you give us wisdom, that you give us understanding, God, and that your word would not return empty, Lord, but that it would bear fruit in our hearts. I pray that you would align our hearts to your word, to your thoughts, Lord. Please fill me, fill me with your spirit to speak your word, and we pray. Amen. So we have been uh, tracing the promise of Genesis 3.15. Remember that we talked about uh, the promise that God gave. It was, in fact, it was a curse for, this, for the serpent, right? When the serpent tempted Eve and they, they ate of the, of the fruit that God told them not to eat, um, the curse to the serpent was that out of the offspring, that, that he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and between the serpent, and that the, seed, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so we have been tracing the seed of the woman, specifically the women in the genealogy of Jesus. And this theme is also connected with the book of Revelation that we have been studying. Remember how there's a dragon who is the serpent, and he knows that, he knows this promise of Genesis 3, 15, and he knows that the seed of the woman is going to destroy him. And so in Genesis, in Genesis 13, the dragon is seen as wanting to destroy the seed of the woman. He is waiting for the woman to give birth so that he can eat the child. He can destroy the child. But God protects this child who is Jesus. And he brings deliverance and he defeats the dragon. He defeats Satan. And as we have been tracing the genealogy of Jesus, we have seen in these uh, five stories, or the four that we have seen, and today the fifth, we have seen how Satan has been trying to mess with God's plan. He has, he has been trying to destroy the seed of the but every time God sovereignly uses someone, sometimes, you know, first time it was Tamar, then it was Rahab, then it was uh, uh, Ruth, then Bathsheba, now Mary, and he uses these instruments of his to continue the seed of the woman, to continue the line of the Messiah, and eventually to bring about his son Jesus that he had promised long ago. And so uh, 
we are now getting close to the fulfillment of that promise with the story of Mary. Um, this story begins with Joseph and Mary, right, who are described as being from the house of David, right? There's a hint right there, uh, more than a hint. It's very obvious. It's saying these two people are from the line of David. This is the continuation of the seed of the woman. This is the line, the line that begun, uh, you know, with Adam and Eve, and then the line that continued with Tamar, even though it was endangered by the sin of uh, Judah, the sin of Judah's sons. God used Tamar to bring about this, uh, or to continue this seed. And this seed that was continued by Rahab, the one that had faith in God, the one that realized that God, the Lord, the, the God of Israel was mightier than all of their gods. And he was going to triumph over their city. And remember how she showed faith and, and uh, entrusted herself to the God of Israel. She covered herself under this uh, uh, scarlet thread, which is a, a symbol of the blood of the lamb that was covering her. And then remember that Ruth, the foreigner, Ruth, the Moabite, how she, um, she was faithful to her mother-in-law and she stuck around with her mother-in-law and she came to the people of Israel and she covered herself under the wings of the God of Israel. And we see Boaz, who by the way is, is uh, Rahab's son, we see how Boaz was a righteous man and he was, a, he was one that was giving us a, a picture of a greater redeemer, of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our redeemer. And Boaz shows us how um, this righteous man, at, at great cost to himself, to his inheritance, to his estate, he, uh, he, he redeemed Naomi and Ruth. And then we see the story of Bathsheba, how everything started with a very sticky situation, with a very awful situation, with adultery, with David, uh, stealing, him from, stealing her from her husband and then murdering uh, 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 Bathsheba's husband. But then we see years later how this story that started out with brokenness, how God redeemed it and how Bathsheba, now as a queen, she claims the promise that David had made to, to her and, and ultimately the promise that God had made to them that Solomon would be king. And so she, along with Nathan the prophet, they claim this promise and they say, hey, the king uh, that is right now trying to, to appoint himself as a king, he is a counterfeit king. But there is the rightful king who is Solomon. And once again, we have another picture of the Lord Jesus, right? This messianic king who is ultimately the, right, the, the rightful king. And then with... Uh, blanking on his name, Adonijah. Adonijah, right? He is the counterfeit king. He is, uh, we could say he is a picture of, of the dragon, of the serpent of Satan, right? That he is trying to deceive us and get himself into the throne when the throne does not belong to him. But throughout these stories, we have seen how God used these women to bring about his purposes. How God took these lowly women and he exalted them, and he brought them to the honorable position of being his servants and being his instruments. And in this story today, in the story of Mary, I think that 
this is highlighted very beautifully that God loves to, ex to take the lowly and exalt them. He loves to take the lowly and bring them to an exalted, to an honorable position of being his servants, of being his instruments. Think about it. These, these women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, they were all of a lowly estate, the way that Mary puts it in her song, right? Especially in, in those times when women did not have almost any rights, when women were generally mistreated. And so I, I know that multiple people accuse the Bible of being uh, sexist or misogynistic or all, you know, stuff of that sort. And yet we see in the Bible how God is taking these people that in that culture, they would have been extremely lowly. Remember how Tamar was abused by uh, her brother-in-law. Remember how Tamar was lied to by her father-in-law. Remember how she was stressed. Rahab, we don't know what, what circumstances brought her to become a prostitute, but she was the lowliest of the lowliest. And yet God used her. Ruth was a Moabite. She was, she was a foreigner. Naomi and Ruth, when they went back to Israel, they were poor. They didn't have anything. They had to glean. But Sheba, we don't know exactly what happened, exactly what happened there, but I would imagine that it was pretty hard to refuse the word of the king. And then we have Mary, who is basically a teenager in Jewish culture. She is pretty, pretty low in the social ranks. She's a teenager, and yet God's MO, God's way of working is exalting or is taking the nobodies, taking the lowly, and through their faith, he exalts them, he brings them to an honorable position of being his servants and his instruments. So in this story, we are introduced to Joseph and Mary. They're from the line of David. And then it says that the angel Gabriel came to her and he said in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So this was not a very common greeting. It's interesting that she's not troubled at the fact that he's an angel, but rather she's troubled because of the greeting. She's trying to figure out what, what kind of greeting is this. And I think she is not the only one that has been troubled by this kind of greeting. I think this greeting has actually caused some confusion. I'm not very familiar with the Catholic Church here in the U.S. I am familiar with the Catholic Church in Mexico. And in Mexico, this verse the way that it is translated is translated almost as, well, not almost, it is translated as worship to Mary. It basically says, Mary, you are full of grace. Hail Mary, you are full of grace. And this has led many people to worship of Mary. But in this case, when we look at the passage, it actually says, Mary, you have received grace, a passive in which she is described as having received 
grace. Right there, the word favor is grace. And so the angel is not saying, Mary, you are a person so full of grace because you are so gracious, because you are so good, God has chosen you. No, no, no. It is saying, Mary, you are favored by the Lord. God has given you grace. Think about it. Grace, by definition, is an unmerited gift. Therefore, to say that someone has earned this grace or has, has, is full of grace because of their works or because of what they've done is an oxymoron because grace is a free gift from God. And, and this language continues, right? In, in verse 30, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace or favor with God. In other words, God has given you grace. You have found grace before God. And grace is really all over this passage. And if you think this is the case with all of us, none of us can say that we can generate this grace. None of us can say that we can earn God's favor. None of us can say that, that we were saved or God looked at us because we were so full of grace. No. No, we were of humble estate. We were the lowliest of the lowliest. We did not deserve anything but God's wrath and God's punishment. It was him. It was God in his grace that looked at us and that saved us, that looked at us and gave his son Jesus to take us from that lowly estate and exalt us with his son Jesus and bring us to himself. Or think about when we accomplish something for the Lord. Think about, you know, when we play music up here or someone who preaches or someone who is serving or when you are preaching the gospel to someone or whatever it is that you accomplish for the glory of God. This is not something that you do because of how awesome and how good you are. This is God's grace to you. Just like Mary, who had the amazing privilege of carrying the Lord Jesus in her womb, she did this by the grace of God. Whenever we do something for God, it is by the grace of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Having, carrying a baby for nine months, I don't have experience with that, but I've been told that it's very difficult. <laughs> and labor to a baby is very difficult. And then raising a baby is very difficult. And so as, as, as much work as that takes, ultimately, we do these things by, God, by God's grace. It is because God has looked upon us with favor that we are doing these things. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, what do you have that you have not received? We don't have anything that God has not given us. So she acknowledges God's grace. We're going uh, we're gonna to skip that section for a moment and we're going to go straight to her uh, to her song or to her you or these words that she uh, that she utters in verse 46. Notice Mary's response to God's grace. So she realizes that this is God's grace that is that is allowing her to 
to carry Jesus in her womb. And this is how she responds. He says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This should be a response. If you have received the grace of God, if you have been saved by God, then your response should be magnifying the Lord, worshiping the Lord, exalting the Lord. Your response, our response should be to rejoice in the Lord of our salvation. This is why we sing. Growing up in the church, and I always had this weird feeling, why do we sing? Like, we, Why do Christians sing? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it, is it really a necessary part of the, of the Sunday gathering? Why do we sing? Well, eventually I understood we sing because we are saved by the grace of God. We sing out of thankfulness to God. We want to worship the Lord. Someone who has been saved by God, someone who has received the grace of God cannot help but sing to God. And this is what Mary does. She receives God's grace. She understands that this is God's grace. She understands how blessed she is because of God's grace, and she breaks out in worship to God. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. We as believers should be full of joy because we have been saved. There's no such thing, they, or they shouldn't be. There, there should not be a thing as a, as a um, bitter Christian or a depressed Christian. Now, I'm not saying that depression, you know, as a, as a condition, is not real. But ultimately, those who have received the grace of God, rejoice in God, rejoice in His salvation. Verse 48, she continues, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary realizes how lowly she was. Mary knows, it is no secret to her that she was extremely lowly. And yet she realizes that God looked on her and he brought her up. He exalted her. She went from being a nobody in her society to being someone that all generations now call blessed. I mean, this is incredible. Do you know of any other teenager girl around the time of Jesus' birth? Not really. And yet Mary, everyone, everyone in the world knows Mary. Everyone knows who Mary is. This little girl, this nobody in her society, God looked on her and he exalted her. He he blessed her, and now everyone calls her blessed. But notice, it is not she 
who is mighty, she recognizes and says, for he who is mighty, God is mighty. She might be weak, but God is mighty and he has done great things for me and holy is his name. So she continues praising the Lord. He is holy. And remember, God's MO, God's way of operating in this world is taking those of humble estate like Mary, like Tamar, like Ruth, like Bathsheba, using them for his glory, giving them the honor of being used as his instrument. Do you feel like you are lowly? Do you feel like maybe you are unimportant? Do you feel like people don't care about you? Or do you feel like you just can't make a difference in this world? Right? Notice here, uh, verse 51, he has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted thus of hum- those of humble estate. Do you feel like maybe you are so lowly or so insignificant that you would never be able to make a difference in this world? You would never be able to make a difference for good in this world, especially when those in power, especially when, when the mighty, when the proud, they seem to have so much influence, so much power. And you think, man, what can I do? I'm just this simple, I'm just a simple pastor of a small church in little Aberdeen. What can I do? I'm just, I'm just a mom. What can I do? I'm just a, I'm just a teenage girl. What can I do? I'm just, you know, I'm just blue collar worker. What can I do? Well, guess what? God's MO is taking the lowly. It's taking the, the, the simpletons, the, 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 the humble, and using them to bring down the mighty. Using them to humble the haughty. That's how God works. His mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, I know I said that Mary didn't do anything to deserve God's grace. Yet, make no mistake, she was a righteous woman. She was a fearer of God. She was obedient to him. Just like her relative Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who are described as um, in verse, in verse five, 6, Elizabeth and Zechariah are described as both of them were raised before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I'm sure that Mary could have been described in the same way. I'm sure that she was a God-fearing woman. And it is beautiful to hear and to know that mercy is for those who fear him. You might feel lowly. You might feel unimportant. But if you fear the Lord, if you serve, if you, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you. 
That's how he operates. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Is the Bible too woke for you? He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Of course, the Bible is not woke. That's not what I'm trying to say. If this makes you uncomfortable, the thought of this could it be that maybe you have accepted the entire worldview of your preferred political party at the expense of what the Bible says? If the thought of feeding the hungry makes you uncomfortable, then I think you need to, or if it makes us uncomfortable, I think we, we need to, to reassess our worldview. We need to reassess our values. We need to think about it and say, okay, I might lean towards this political party, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to accept everything that they're saying. I don't lean towards this party, but it doesn't mean that every single thing that they say is absolutely wrong. Ultimately, our allegiance should be not to a political party, but to the Lord, to God. And ultimately, our worldview should be shaped by the Bible. And one of the things that God loves to do is to feed the hungry, is to care for the humble, for those of, low, of a lowly estate. And so if, if we call ourselves Christians, I think we should be doing the same thing. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So think about this. Mary is living in a time where Israel has lost pretty much everything that was great about Israel. Their temple has been destroyed multiple times. The temple that they, that they had at the time was a temple that was not even built uh, by, you know, a, 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 a rightful king. It was Herod the Great who, who built this third temple. Herod is uh, uh, basically a puppet of the Roman Empire. The people of Israel are uh, servants to the Roman Empire. So things are not going very well for the people of Israel. They, they had all of these promises. Remember, God promised them to, to give them the land. And he promised them to have dominion over the, the promised land. And he promised that there would be a king sitting on the throne of David. And yet, at the time that Mary is saying these things, nothing seems to be going on. And then she receives this promise, and that's why she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She is saying, God is, is remembering his mercy, is remembering his promises to us. He is fulfilling his mercy. Today we ask, Mary, did you know? He absolutely knew. She definitely knew that these promises were, the, or, or that the birth of Jesus, that her pregnancy, that these events were the fulfillment of God's promises. She knew that she was carrying the Messiah. 
Verse 56, 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham, that he made to Isaac, to Jacob. God is finally fulfilling this promise by sending his son Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary. Now, to continue the Christmas song reference, what child is this? Well, look at verses, look at verse uh, 31. Going back to verse 31. Sorry, sorry that I'm kind of jumping back and forth. In verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So this promise that God had made that there would always be an heir sitting in the throne of David is finally being fulfilled. The son that Mary would have would be the king of Israel. He would be the everlasting king of his, of his kingdom. There will be no end. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The reign of Jesus is eternal. He is reigning right now. He is king. He is seated at the right hand of God and is reigning. Now, one of the things that really, really got my attention, and I think that this is a great lesson for us here, is once she... Once she questions, okay, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Literally, it says, I, I, I have not known a man. Uh, and the end explains what's going to happen. Look at her response in verse 36, 38. Man, I need to get a larger print Bible. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you imagine if Mary would have said, no way. I don't want to do this. People are going to think that I was, that I was immoral. Nobody's going to believe me that an angel appeared to me and that I'm pregnant basically you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Mary humbled herself and she realized that this was the grace of God to her. And she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you imagine... If we, always, if we always had that attitude. If whenever God sent something our way, whenever God uh, was giving us a task to complete, whenever God gives us a command, if we said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to his word. But a lot of the times we say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, but let it be according to my word. 
Now, even though Jesus was going to be this uh, great king and this eternal king, remember that the cross came before the crown. Remember that before receiving his kingdom, he lived in this world. He lived a perfect life of obedience to his father, which brought him rejection, which brought him persecution. And eventually, this led him to being crucified. And remember what he said when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember how he was praying to the Father and saying, Father, if it's possible, let this... Uh, uh, forget the wording of that. Let, let, the, let this cup pass from me. And he says, however, not your will, I, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, Jesus was basically saying thing that Mary said, that I am the servant of the Lord God. Let it be to me according to his word. And it is because Jesus was willing to obey his father. It is because Jesus was willing to become a servant, even to the point of death, death on a cross, that we have salvation, that we have received the grace of God. Earlier I mentioned, can you imagine if Mary did not accept the plan? Well, now imagine if Jesus said, actually, I don't want to die on the cross for these people. Of course, he would never say that, but in his grace, in his mercy, he humbled himself for our salvation. At great cost to himself, kind of like Boaz, he became poor for us so that we would become rich. He redeemed us like Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi. He redeemed us when he died on the cross. And then read that because of that, God exalted him. Again, we see that again. God loves to take the lowly, the humble, and exalt them, use them for his glory, use them as his servants and as his instruments. So as we consider the birth of Christ, as we remember the birth of Christ this Christmas, may we humble ourselves. May we remember that, may we remember how lowly of an estate we had before Christ came and saved us. May we remember his grace. May we remember that Nothing that we do is because of our own merit, because of our own strength or, or, or intelligence. Everything that we have is a gift from God, especially his salvation, especially his grace for us. The birth of his son Jesus, the death of his son Jesus, the resurrection of the Lord, patient. God, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for using the lowly, the nobodies, to bring about salvation. 
Lord, we are lowly. We are of a humble estate. Yet you look on us, your mercy, you use us for your glory. I pray that we remember your grace this Christmas, that we remember your salvation, that we remember that you fulfilled the promise that you made to your people, and by your grace you included us with your people. We praise you, God. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.